hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Alright, <laughs> okay. Yeah, this uh, weather is, uh, you know, the way it is, is like suddenly it gets dark. <laughs> Hello and welcome everyone to who's ever listening to this particular podcast on YouTube, Apple, Google, Spotify or any other platforms. I am Jay Shah and I invite machine learning professors, engineers, researchers and entrepreneurs to talk more about their current work, insights about their journey and getting started with it. And today we have with us Dr. Milind Tambe, who is a professor of computer science at the Harvard University and director of the Center for Research in Computation and Society. He is also the director of AI for Social Good at Google Research in India. He has been leading and working on projects that are creating an amazing impact ranging from wildlife conservations, public health and safety using AI techniques. So uh, Dr. Tambe, thanks for being here and uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. Very glad to be here. <laughs> All right. So uh, to learn more about you and in concrete terms, like what are some of the projects under the hood that you are working for under the hood of AI for social good that you are currently working on? So there are three uh, broad umbrellas of work that I've been engaged in for the past 15, 16 years under this AI for social good. I'll start with conservation. Here we are focused on how do we protect biodiversity? Specifically, we've been looking at wildlife conservation. And for the past seven, eight years, I've been collaborating with wildlife conservation organizations, World Wildlife Fund, Wildlife Conservation Society, Panthea, and many others, in order to predict where poachers can set traps or snares. Concrete example is work we've done in Uganda and Cambodia where harnessing past poaching data, we are able to predict where poachers set traps. And for the past several years, we've been able to remove thousands, if not tens of thousands of these traps. So this has led uh, us to collaborate with these organizations worldwide and make our software available worldwide uh, for rangers to download and use that to predict poaching hotspots and generate ranger patrols. We've also looked at you know, public health as the second area of work. So concrete example there is work we've done with youth experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles. Harnessing the social networks of these youth, they're able to show that our social network algorithms are far more effective in spreading HIV information and reducing HIV risk behaviors compared to traditional approaches. And so we are also now looking at other topics related to tuberculosis prevention, maternal and child care. Now, in the past, we've also worked on public safety and security, where uh, we've contributed new models and algorithms that have been used by the TSA, uh, by the US Coast Guard, by other agencies. In the focus there has been more counterterrorism and other uh, threats which are then resourced. So those are roughly, th those are basically the three areas of our work. And hopefully that gives you some instances of how our work has been applied. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I've been reading a lot of your work and you work at the intersection of a lot of the AI techniques plus many social sectors. So my next question would be like, do you feel there is a major disconnect between when we see these social sectors operating versus how uh, AI is being used in general? So do you feel that disconnect is still present? And if so, if that is a major disconnect, who do you think should be much more taking the lead into solving these gaps and making this gap much more small? I mean, there are, uh, you know, AI researchers who are very keenly interested in social uh, work, in uh, social impact. Um, you know, I fondly remember visiting IIT Patna uh, a couple years ago, and, you know, before COVID, of course. 
and uh, you know just having all these uh, talking to all these students who were you know it seemed like 50 students uh, phd students all kind of working in ai and machine learning keenly interested in social impact but not understanding how to get going and so the question was how do we get started uh, in ai for social media on the other hand there are nonprofits um, often sitting on lots of data and there is no way that they can figure out who's who to talk to who's the right person with the right expertise for their particular kind of problem and so you know we have on on the side at least in the university sort of set up students professors the other researchers very interested in ai for social impact ngos looking for exactly this expertise and so we need some way to actually do matchmaking and try and start you know lots of ai so i mean i think there's tremendous potential to have a lot of work going in ai for social impact but there is a gap Uh, back to the question that you asked, there is a gap, and somehow we have to fill this gap. And so, at least at Google Research India, we've been taking some steps to try to address uh, these problems. I can get into it more if that's of interest. But uh, uh, there's a lot of opportunity also because there is this gap. Right, and and. from a computer science perspective because you have been trained as a person who has been you know deep interest into research so while you are working on these kind of applications which have a strict motive for solving a particular issue do you feel these kind of applications also have some kind of inspiration to be taken into these solving problems for example do you if you hit a problem that cannot be solved within the standard norms or paradigms of computer science or also the ai definitions do you have you ever uh, had the opportunity to work on something totally from the bottom up approach saying uh, i don't find any algorithms who can solve these issues issues but let me work on something that is solely motivated by the application do you see these kind of opportunities over there yes yes definitely that's a wonderful question so in fact um you know ai innovation and social impact seem to go hand in hand so it's not the case that we are focusing on social impact implies that we are giving up on ai innovation in fact it demands ai innovation often because these are domains where there is a very limited amount of data and there's a lot of uncertainty and so a lot of the struggle ends up being you know how do you deal with situations where there is no data i'll give you a, a, a concrete example there's tremendous amount of work in computer science over the past two decades on what is called influence maximization in social networks so you take a social network as input and then you have to choose key influencers people who are you know you spread who will spread your message for viral marketing and so forth this is very useful but generally the assumption is that the social network is given to you makes sense when there is a lot of data but in the kinds of domains of social impact that we are interested in often working with um, marginalized communities you experience in homelessness or others there is no social network available they're not working in on facebook etc etc so we have to do the same work as influence maximization without the social network and so therein lies an interesting research problem how will you handle uh, you know social influence maximization when there is no social network given so that becomes like a very interesting research problem to solve and then in many instances we find a similar situation where you're given a problem you try to look for a um, standard off the shelf solution and it makes lots of assumptions that there's plenty of data that everybody every the environment is very stable 
And in reality, you know, very limited data, the environment itself is very unstable. And that leads to lots of new challenges. So yeah, there's just a, a lot of opportunity to do uh, exciting research uh, when we get into AI for social media. Right, right. And also one of the key things that I realized when I was looking at the uh, project portfolios that you have is the key differences between what we see in standard research community. We have a very strict goal, right? Like we are either trying to improve the performance or we are beating the state of art. But hardly, I think I think when I'm looking at these projects, I, I believe you have much more diverse set of metrics. It is not solely the application or you want the, the most efficient algorithm that is out there. How do you typically go about uh, designing those uh, metrics, first of all, and how, how do you particularly evaluate the impact of a project? Like, can you can you demystify the idea of like, what do we mean by social impact or uh, the goodness of a project for social good or in general AI for good? Those are, uh, again, excellent questions. We are very keen on making sure that we are not just improving algorithms, uh, and publishing in AI conferences under the name of AI for social impact. It really has to show social impact on the ground. And by that, we mean being able to do something like a clinical trial or a randomized control trial, where we have three arms, let's say, of an experiment where you say, okay, there's some intervention that you're conducting, uh, some state of the art way of the social organization, you know, the nonprofit was doing work whatever way they were doing. And now you've added another way of, you know, and, and now supposing there's no intervention. So essentially, for example, with uh, youth experiencing homelessness, we have a new algorithm for spreading HIV information in a social network. So that's bucket A. So basically there'll be a group of youth we will recruit in that bucket. Uh, then there'll be a group of youth who we will treat, who we will intervene on using state of the art because the existing nonprofits were using something to spread their message before. So we compare our algorithm to their algorithm and then to a, a situation where there is no uh, intervention at all, no algorithm being used. And then we say, who got more HIV information? Who changed their HIV risk behaviors, like using condoms, uh, um, not sharing needles, what have you. And so at the end of the day, we want to show statistically and practically that our results were significant, that the behaviors actually changed. Um, if we are looking at preventing poaching, which is what I also mentioned, we want to look at, okay, before our software got used, what was the rate at which they were finding tools? after our software was used, what was the rate at which they were finding traps. And so there are, you know, these concrete measures have to be shown. Otherwise, yeah, you got a very nice algorithm, but if it didn't really show actual impact on the ground in a way that the nonprofit found useful or the, you know, the partner organization found useful, not, not really social impact, yeah. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. That that makes a lot of sense. And one of the other questions that I want to pick on is, uh, like you said, impact from at least the technical aspect, which definitely makes sense. But from the other aspect, so because you're working at the intersection, first of all, you're taking these AI techniques and working with a lot of interdisciplinary sciences, right? You said public health, public safety, um, wildlife, which is definitely a totally different genre for people to work with and proving them 
a sense that AI is making an impact? And this begets a very important question, which is the explainability, right? So if if that is if that is something a major factor while you are dealing with these people and making them aware that how AI actually can be useful, how and but but from the research aspect, we see there is a clear lack of uh, definitions for what do we mean by explainable AI? What are the characteristics of particular explainable AI? And based on your experience working with such set of diverse people, how would you have uh, defined AI, uh, explainable AI? Let's say if you were to define five or maybe take more if you want, but what would be the subtle characteristics of saying that this model is explainable? And what would be the most important milestones to hit? So those are, uh, you know, the the communities that we work with, there seem to be three different uh, ways of interacting here, or three different steps that are involved in getting the solutions accepted. So there is, first of all, there has to be some notion of trust that gets built between us and the community. Um, without that, even if we can explain our solution or whatnot, it wouldn't work. There, so, so there is that uh, element of trust that gets built up uh, first. Secondly, whatever software we build, the interaction of that software with their people, with their community has to be very simple. So if we say that, okay, now, you know, there's going to be this 10 step interaction and you have to enter this, then that is not going to work, even if we can make it very explainable. So it has to be very simple to interact with and it should quickly give results. Um, and we shouldn't assume like a high powered, you know, that they, they are often. Uh, working in low resources. So we can't say, well, we, you know, you, you can run our software for 10 hours on a high-performing computer, then you can, no, it has to work quickly. So all of these have to be present. Right. And then explainability sort of seems to come after all of these things are in place. And um, so in, in, in some sense, so, uh, you know, we've sometimes been able to get through these steps and then doesn't have to be the case that the system is highly explainable, but the interaction uh, piece was simple. So they could understand, this is the input we have to give, it's very simple, this is the output we're gonna get, this is what, you know, what was, you know, this is integrated in their normal workflow, and then it's okay, then you don't have to necessarily make everything very explainable, um, because you built up that relationship and trust. So it's so that's the way in which I see now. Of course, if if you know if they have questions, the software should be able to say why did it make this choice and not that choice and things like that. We haven't found that to be a, a showstopper, in the sense that um, you know if all these other steps are there, then people are willing to say okay, um, you know there must be some reason that the software makes right. this. It's very important, but I'm just saying that this trust. Um, Simplicity of interaction, not assuming that this uh, system, you know, the group we are interacting with is a high-powered, high-resourced group. All of these, if we can address first, then the burden on building a very explainable software becomes a little less. Right, right. So I guess, yeah, the idea of building up transparency for what they are doing and what the system is actually doing and trying to make those systems much more decoupled, as in it's not just A to B to C and directly to Z, but uh, just explaining each of these steps would definitely lead to a much more uh, reliable systems. Right, and integrating the software in their normal workflow and respecting 
um, the fact that you know these are domain experts themselves. Yeah. So, for example, uh, for rangers who are trying to look for traps, we will not tell them, okay, you know, uh, you have to look under a tree, under this, that. They're experts. You you can say, okay, this is the hot spot. You know, this one kilometer by one kilometer area. That's what we predict. But beyond that, you know, where might poachers hide their traps? That's their area of expertise. I mean, we shouldn't kind of go to that level of detail. And so there is a nice kind of a human agent or human AI software boundary that we try to respect. And that also helps in terms of getting the software adopted and used. Uh, sometimes uh, in an over-eager fashion, if we do something where it seems like you're micromanaging uh, you know, their time, and not respecting their expertise, then that, there's always a pushback saying that then, then they don't want that software. Yeah, yeah. Talking more about the pushback. So uh, a, a, a similar question on the same premise is there is always a concern. We like me as a student, I, I see hearing like mostly through media articles. I don't know if that is a valid concern or not, but always people are concerned about the use of AI into some other domains. Right. So a lot of pushback comes from saying that these are these things are automating our jobs or maybe they are uh, they are much more concerned about the idea of taking away their jobs, which even though I know that is not real. But how do you go about actually making them aware saying that AI can be used for good it is not definitely like you said these people are poachers and these are experts there is no way AI is going to beat them but how do we explain them that the there is a middle way right like AI can be used for good and it is for your benefit or something like that how do you how do you, uh, let me rephrase the question is saying where is the balance point how where do you see the balance it's a it's a very delicate uh, balancing point, and often uh, it starts with building up that relationship with a particular community. It's a very when we are doing AI social impact, we're often working with communities that are marginalized, with uh, communities that are disadvantaged, and the nonprofits who are working with them. Um, we want to make sure that you know they 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 do see us as humble. Uh, coming there with humility, respecting their domain of expertise, and not just, okay, we are going to sit in our ivory towers, think of a solution, and here we are going to, you know, come in and helicopter it to you, and, you know, helicopter in that solution to you, and you're just going to use it. But that's not the way it is. It's very much ground up. It's a partnership with their organization. And whatever, I mean, we are, we are trying to build things to what they want to. And in some cases, people will say, look, uh, you know, a, a conservation organization had mentioned to me, maybe I shouldn't mention which one, that look, we don't need AI, we just need better shoes at this point as to where, you know, given the place we are in. And that's okay. I mean, if, if you know, we don't, they don't need us, we don't, we don't want to force ourselves into it. I think this um, spirit of partnership uh, of AI researchers and domain experts has helped in terms of building up that trust and and in this way, we are trying to understand their problems from the ground up and then trying to solve their problems as opposed to suggesting that we know better. And I think that has helped us. I mean, this is not to say the, you know, that there are no friction points. There's, all, you know, there's always some kind of uh, discussion and so on. But that has helped us in terms of uh, not running headlong into just 
you know, people feeling that we don't respect them, that we just want to, you know, automate everything and over-automate everything when we don't even know what it is that is needed and so on. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's a very important point, and which is one thing I resonate very well because one year into my PhD, I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of hospitals. So we are working with this Mayo Clinics, and I understand the idea. Like, if I'm going to use my expertise or build a research expertise, I might as well do it for something good. But let me ask you a student-friendly question because. I see a lot of my friends who are working on, like you you must have known, AI has a lot of man-made problems, right? We would create our own problems and then try to make an algorithm for, I don't know, the application might not even be there by the end I graduate. So how sh how should and how would students get involved into these kind of projects? Do you, what, what bits they could do? Because of course, you are working with Google, which has a great amount of impact and a reach. But how does someone who is new into the research field simultaneously work on something that has an impact, that has an endpoint, and also build the, his or her own expertise? So I'll give you, uh, this is something I've thought about, and I'll give you uh, answers which multiple pathways in order to connect with AI for social impact. The simplest way, perhaps, one that I have adopted in my research group is um, we just call up nonprofits in our local area or even internationally, it doesn't matter. Um, so we'll just say, hey, you know, nonprofit in Boston area, is there anything we can do for you? And maybe some people will say they don't, you know, they don't need us, but there may be some who actually are sitting on data and find AI expertise to be used. And uh, we've held meetings where we'll call, call in multiple nonprofits to our university, have a workshop. Uh, the nonprofits will pitch their problems, our students will listen and say, ah, I, can, I can work on that problem. And this has led to some uh, projects. So this is certainly happening. Um, another is, uh, you know, sometimes there'll be professors in other departments, uh, School of Public Health, for example, or School of Social Work. And, uh, you know, you find friends there and they're working on interesting problems. And again, there can be collaborations there. Uh, I found in my classroom, I basically invited nonprofits to come and give lectures. Uh, they'll come and pitch problems and say, hey, you know, this is uh, the problem we're working on. And class projects that will ultimately lead to bigger projects. So that's another avenue. In addition, as I said, at Google Research India, we have a call. It's been happening now. It's happened twice every year. We'll put out a call where like, uh, if you are a researcher, you can apply. If it's a nonprofit, you can apply. And then we engage in matchmaking to launch AI for social good projects. And so that might be, I mean, that might be another avenue. And there we also fund uh, the researchers and the nonprofit to work together. So if it's a young research, you know, they're a young researcher, they might want to look at this. So there are all these ways in which if you are keen on AI for social impact, that it is possible. And sometimes people, you know, if none of these avenues work, I've often uh, I've, uh, talked to some students saying, you know, your family circle, your friend circle, There'll be someone, you know, who knows like, okay, there's a nonprofit thing that they're working on and they would love to use your expertise uh, for, uh, you know, using AI for social good for, and maybe initially it starts small. You know, it's not uh, the world's biggest AI research problem to start with, but once the trust starts to, starts to develop and both sides understand each other, there can be new ideas that come in that have not been thought of before. 
and the right. project goes in like uh, very very interesting and new directions yeah i really like the idea of where you started the point like you you have lab meetings where you would invite these real world problems or people who are working on real world problems to bring into the lab and then ask can ai do that which is something i really really find interesting and luckily i have i have found few professors who do that and i i can see the impact even though i haven't been like i'm still on my pathway to there but i can see how that really motivates people to uh, lead that pathway no that's please go yeah yeah the, the the next question like i i wanted to ask is i have invited a lot of people who strictly work in the domain of ai right and i asked them questions like what are the roadblocks that you think are there but since you are a person with a great amount of expertise and who who works on the intersection i want to learn more about the roadblocks that you find at the intersection not necessarily like i mean i can yeah. list thousand problems where i can start with uh, small data sets computations problems which are specific to ai but why do you think are the roadblocks for wide adoption for social impacts for ai which you think could be at the organizational level or even from personal level or from researchers level um so i guess i mean again uh, this is a good question the roadblocks i mean as you said if you start from the top first there has to be a partnership uh you have to find a good partner i mean the ngo has to find a good ai partner the ai people have to find a good ngo partner so you start from there maybe there is not that partnership even if they have the right complementarity personalities don't match relationships don't get developed um sometimes the ai researchers i find can be impatient i'm sure the ngo side has a similar issue but i'll find someone who say well i met with the nonprofit and they didn't give me a problem it's with expectation that the nonprofit come would come in and start writing down like a mathematical equation uh, you know <laughs> some over i xi you want to uh, optimize that when I mean, they're not going to come in like that they don't know i mean they don't know what ai is capable of and they have to understand that so it takes some time to figure out uh, you know what problem can be solved and they'll kind of develop a problem and it so sometimes there's not innovation so projects get lost there but assuming all of that succeeds then there's a question of whether there is like you said data on the nonprofit side to support the problem at hand once that is done then the next question becomes uh can they so you might develop a solution in the lab can they actually pilot it out uh because you have to have the ability to because they may say well we can't quite deploy your solution we don't have permissions or have you so then it's a you know it just remains in the lab it never actually transitions because you didn't get the right permissions maybe governments are involved or whatever and then once a small pilot gets done then of course you want to actually deploy it and then again you know questions come in whether so there are uh, these multiple uh, failure points so you have to scout out ahead of time whether there is a good partner whether they have the data whether they can um pilot uh, the solution whether they can actually deploy the solution our friends uh, there's a um, ai institute at, uh, in mumbai in india right in mumbai um uh, called vadwani ai and um, they have this uh, i find uh, question, seven questions uh, that and i'm borrowing four from them i mean uh, but there's three more but basically they have these seven questions that you should ask before you start a project in ai for social good which i find Uh, to be a useful list and um, so those are 
essentially kind of the failure points. Uh, the one question that we ask in addition is whether there are AI because as researchers, we want to know, is there a AI research opportunity in the mix? And uh, because if there isn't, then of course, you know, if you're going to be able to use very standard tools and techniques and solve the problem, then there it works. Um, I should mention for your student and researchers, for publication of this work, there are now very nice revenues that are coming out. So AI for social impact is a special track of AAA every year. Yes, yes. And so this is, I assume this track's going to continue, it's going to grow bigger. And so people can submit papers to that track. And the evaluation criteria for that track is different uh, from a standard uh, AI track. So it's yeah. not going to be evaluated. So going back to the question of what are the failure points, it's, in this track, they're not going to evaluate it based on standard AI metrics, uh, standard AAA metrics, or standard uh, metrics for AI papers. It's evaluated more also on whether there was social impact. And uh, so there are different metrics that are used, and so hopefully people would find that useful. Wow, that, that's really good to know because I, 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 I always critique CS community within having a very uh, stringent hand for criticism for papers. If you are not performing well, if the numbers are not good, the papers have a very high rejection ratio. So that, that's really good to know that they are kind of uh, tweaking those things. Um, but yeah, uh, since we have just a couple of minutes more, I'll just ask this question, which I initially wanted to start with, and which is much more of an overall question just about you is, what really motivates you to work on these kind of social problems? Because like you said, most of the projects don't uh, make it out of the lab, or they have a very high thrust point, like you have to push too much hard to even get started with those kind of collaborations. So what is your personal motivation for working AI for social good? Why, why not work on something, some projects that could build that could help you build some nice theoretical framework or an architecture for overall computer science problem why work on ai for social good uh, and and obviously there are people who work on pure theoretical ai problems if you will and more power to them and the people who do pure computer science theory awesome <laughs> fantastic you know do that uh, i guess it's more of a personal choice rather than um, saying necessarily this is the best path or the only path, but I found that to be a more satisfying path. Um, and there is this book called Pasteur's Quadrant. Basically, there are scientists like Bohr who are doing, you know, who in the past have done very fundamental work, but not directly with the idea of making something directly useful. There's Edison who's, uh, you know, looking for applications, but not necessarily deep research. And there's Pasteur who's, basically Louis Pasteur, pasteurization and so forth, who is trying to solve societal problems for simultaneously contributing to fundamental scientific work. And so this is a, a kind of work where we are trying to look at scientific problems, but as they arise in service of some social good. And so this is a area where I find the most satisfaction personally um, and, and you know, I certainly hope that a lot of people really get engaged in that with the full recognition that we also need just people who do very fundamental basic work. And, you know, all these paths are separate and all are good. But I, um, and you know, it's as to, I've tried my hand at 
just doing kind of basic work and I did well, I feel, on, on that front as well. But when I switched over to going out in the field, uh, to visiting national parks and seeing wildlife and then, you know, rangers collecting these snares, and these are just such cool implements to name and kill the, this wildlife. And you say, they say, well, because of your software, we're able to remove all of these. Or, uh, you know, we, we go to the homeless shelters or, you know, where they say, well, your software has really helped us, you know, improve um, public health. I mean, these are things that just give me deep satisfaction. Um, and so that's basically, you know, something that fuels me. And I really love sort of doing the work in the lab and then going in the field and seeing that, yeah, you know, I can really see the impact right there. Yeah. Um, so, so that's 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 what keeps me motivated. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That that's really uh, that's really motivating, and I hope people who are listening to this podcast really finds this to be motivating for motivating for themselves. And yeah, I mean, I have been reading a lot of your work since the past, I think, one year or so. So you're you're doing amazing job. So keep up with that. But uh, with that time crunch, I think I'm I'm done. I these are the only questions I had. Uh, but I'd like to thank you. Thank you for um, uh, fitting this into your schedule. And I hope people uh, find this useful. And I'll leave a link to your homepage so that if they have any kind of uh, cool ideas or if they want to collaborate with you, they will definitely reach out to you uh, via your email. So thanks. Thanks once again for being here and sharing these amazing works with us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for all the great work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.